I want. I want to never have to wear a mask ever again. I want to never hear of another person I love being in the hospital and fighting for their life because of COVID. I want to never hear the words breaking news ever again. I want to hug my kids' teachers and tell them how much I appreciate them. I want to drive my kids to school and actually leave them there for the whole school day. I want to not lose another friendship or church attendee to disagreements over masks or politics. I want to never take for granted a holiday meal, a vacation plan, or a large party. I want to never see the word in transit on a tracking system ever again. Because what in transit means is just sit down and wait because we have no idea where your package is. Now, I I make this list somewhat tongue-in-cheek because I think we've all experienced in the last year this reality of having things that we want and not seeing those things happen. And when that moment happens for us, there's something we want and it's not happening, we have to begin to answer a question. This question, what do you do when you don't get what you want? It's a question I want you to all think about right now this morning. What do you do when you don't get what you want? A lot of us are are a lot more clear on what it is that we want than we are clear in understanding what happens within us when we don't get what we want. And it's that question that we're going to wrestle with this morning. We're in a series in the month of January called How's Your Heart? As you begin this year, we're looking within, not to navel gaze, but because we know the truth that what happens within us will eventually come out of us. And if we don't pay attention to our hearts, everyone around us, including us, will one day pay the price. And over the last few weeks of the month of January, we're walking through some dangerous emotions that are rumbling around our hearts and we're reckoning with them and hopefully with God's grace, we're resolving them. Last week, we looked at the word and the emotion guilt. Today, we're going to look at anger. Next week is greed. And the final week is jealousy. We've left out the A just because we felt like it. If you want to dig deeper into this series, we want to let you know that there's a book that inspired this series and this framework that we're following. The book is called Enemies of the Heart by Pastor Andy Stanley. You can find a link to it on our website at prescottcornerstone.com slash heart. His study and his framework have informed this series. And so we always want to point out when we're drawing on somebody else's work that we give them the honor and respect they deserve for the hard work they've done on this topic. So I mentioned that today our emotion in this week, week three, is anger. So if you're taking notes, here's the big idea. Anger is like fire. It can keep us warm or destroy our lives. Anger is like fire. There are good things that fire does. But just like fire can destroy our lives, anger can destroy our lives too. And so today, because anger is so dangerous, we're going to wrestle with three questions that we all have to answer about anger. 
And here's the first one that we have to wrestle with. Where does anger come from? Because we've all felt anger at some point this week or this month or this year. You're going to feel anger. I'm going to feel anger. It's important for us to think about where anger comes from. Because unless you know where something is coming from, you can't really deal with it. Now, anger is a normal and a natural human response. It's, it's part of how God made us. And so anger in and of itself is not bad. Anger is, is that response we have when something is happening that's not okay, that's not good, that's not right. For many of us, anger is the results. Anger is the response when we don't get what we want or what we think we deserve. If you've ever been around small children, you've seen them explode in anger with that four-letter word, mine. (laughs) Or they say that two-letter word, no. See, for so many of us, anger is the response that happens within us when we don't get what we want or when we don't get what we think we deserve. And as such, it isn't necessarily a bad thing. But we should be aware of what anger can lead to if it's not dealt with or resolved. In Ecclesiastes 7, the writer says, Don't let your spirit rush to be angry, for anger abides in the heart of fools. We would be foolish if we didn't take seriously the destructive power of anger. And we are foolish when we rush into anger thoughtlessly and carelessly. Now, if you were with us last week in this series, we talked about a related topic. We talked about guilt. And guilt, if you could summarize what guilt says, is guilt says, I owe you. When when you've done something wrong and you feel guilt, there is a, a debt that you feel towards someone else that has to be resolved. And so last week, we discussed the power of confession to address and deal with guilt. Well, if guilt says, I owe you, then anger says, you owe me. That feeling of anger is this desire to collect on a debt and see something made right or resolved. Anger is that feeling, man, that person, they owe me. I'm so mad at them. They owe me. They owe me for what happened. And, and we feel hurt in those moments because something has been taken from us. It could be something simple as, as some of our time. It could be some of our money. It, it could be some of our peace. Or it could be something that can't be refunded. It could be something that can't be replaced. It could be something that can't be made right. It's gone forever. I'm to talk to you real simply about when anger showed up in my life last year. My wife and I have a friend, and, and we're so excited about what's happening in this friend's life. But th- this friend plays in the NFL, and he his team made the Super Bowl. And so we were watching the championship game before the Super Bowl, and his team won miraculously. And we said, hey, let, let's get Super Bowl jerseys. We're not going to the game, but let's get jerseys we can wear and watch the game. So we went online, and, and just to be sure that the jerseys were going to arrive, we paid for rush shipping. 
And if you've ever ordered anything before online, even when you rush it, you're just kind of anxious for it to arrive. You're checking your email every day. When you get that alert that it actually has gone to the shipping company, you click the link and you watch to see if it's in transit or not. There's a reason that I I shared that earlier. So we were watching all of those two weeks, waiting for it to arrive. And late in the second week, just days before the game, we got an alert that it wasn't going to be delivered on time. And we were... We were devastated. We were sad. I mean, it's a jersey, but we had our hearts set on getting it. Said, okay, you know what? Hopefully they'll win. And they did. And we said, hey, hopefully we'll be able to wear that and celebrate afterwards. But days went by and it still didn't arrive. We we, we got word that, that it was delayed in production. And so I started making some phone calls and sending some instant messages, trying to figure what happened. And at every turn, I was assured... You know what, Mr. Savage, we're so sorry. We'll refund your rush fee. It's coming. It's just been delayed. Finally, two weeks after the Super Bowl, almost four weeks after I ordered it, I learned from the company what really happened. On their website, the day we ordered, something broke. And so hundreds of us were allowed to order jerseys when they were actually out of stock. The problem was we were told we could buy something that wasn't actually available. And for weeks, this company, they lied to us. They never told us what happened and they led us along. Finally, weeks later, I got a supervisor of a supervisor. And and I'll be honest, I'm not proud of that phone call. I I was frustrated. I was angry because I didn't get what I wanted, the jersey. I didn't get what I deserved, the truth. And I felt like something wrong had been done. I felt like something unjust had happened. And I was trying to make sure that it never happened to anybody ever again. I was angry that day. I can still feel myself kind of getting angry as I tell that story. And, and what you need to know isn't just where anger comes from. Like in my story, that moment, we need to get our heads around what happens when anger begins to occupy our hearts. That's the second question. What does anger do in and through us? So when we become angry, what happens? Well, unaddressed anger is like a heart disease. Heart disease is one of the number one killers in our country. And and the reason why so many people end up dying from heart disease is they have no idea they have heart disease. They have no idea just how sick their heart is. And when someone, you or me or someone we love, has anger that's rolling around in the heart, unaddressed and undealt with, it begins to have a toxic impact on our hearts. To go back to the analogy with fire in our big idea, holding on to anger, it burns us. We think that by holding on to anger, we're making other people pay. But the problem is, is when you hold on to anger, when I hold on to anger, we're the ones who get burned. We're the ones who pay the price. James, the half-brother of Jesus, talks about anger in a, a letter he wrote at the end of the Bible called James. And in James 1, here's what he says. He says, my dear brothers and sisters, understand this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. So I said earlier that that anger is a natural and normal human response. But the problem is, is that for so many of us, what we do in response to anger 
or what unaddressed anger ends up allowing to flow out of us, it is this stuff that James says that doesn't accomplish God's righteousness. So many of us, when we're angry, we do X, Y, and Z. Things that that are sinful. Things that are destructive. Things that do hurt people. And what started with anger leads to sin and brokenness and destruction. Over time, anger becomes our identity. You and I, we both have known people that when you asked, hey, who, who's, that kind of, who's that person? What are they like? Oh, they're just, they're angry. It becomes the adjective, the description of a person's character when it continues unaddressed. Anger can become our defining characteristic. That thing that happened to us when we didn't get what we want or when we didn't get what we deserve or when something was taken from us, that moment and the anger we feel over it can become the totality of who we are. Anger, it it bleeds on other people. In that season when I was dealing with Jersey Gate, you know, in my house, I, I'd let my kids have it. I, I'd snap at a moment's notice and, and, and yell at them. I wasn't mad at them. I was mad at the company that, that lied, deceived, and did the wrong thing. You know, I spent time on a day that I should have been working, angry. And my anger distracted me from what was truly important. Here's what you need to know. If you're battling anger today, this is not just about you. Because your anger doesn't just touch you. It bleeds on to other people. And anger brings a feeling of justification. We feel like we are so right when we're angry. We feel like we are so justified and righteous and, um, and above the person who took what was ours who didn't give us what we want or didn't give us what we deserve. We feel this, this position of power. And it isn't that far of a leap from feeling justified to being a victim. From seeing ourselves as someone who deserves something because we were victimized. And that victim mindset is so pervasive and so powerful and ultimately so destructive. The stakes are high when anger is flowing within us. The future is on the line when we look in our heart and we find anger. Yeah, there may be a a really good reason in the past for, for where our anger came from, but it's really important that we make some important choices some key choices in that moment when we look within and we find anger because anger can do things that we don't want and that other people don't deserve. That's the problem. We may be angry that we didn't get what we wanted and we didn't get what we felt we deserved, but other people are about to get what they don't want and what they don't deserve if we don't deal with our anger. And finally, for me, I had to face the fact that I was angry over something that was never going to change. I wrote a letter, and I never sent it. I saved it, 
I walked away and I said, you know what? This thing has robbed me of time, of attention, of peace, and of being the kind of person that I want to be. I have to move on from this anger. And that's the third question we got to wrestle with this morning. And this is where we're going to spend the bulk of our time. What's the healthiest thing we can do with our anger? Because you can't stop yourself or prevent yourself from being angry in the future. You're going to get angry again if you're not already angry right now. And so if that's the truth, then what can we do with that anger when it shows up? It's a great question, and I want us to answer it by going to the book of Ephesians. If you have your Bible, I'd encourage you to turn there. Ephesians is near the back of the Bible. It's nestled in between the books of Galatians and Philippians. Ephesians is a a book, a, a letter, actually, that the Apostle Paul wrote from prison to the church in a city called Ephesus. And here's what he says in the end of the book, in Ephesians 4. He says, Let all bitterness... Anger and wrath, shouting and slander be removed from you along with all malice. Let all bitterness, anger, wrath, shouting and slander be removed from you along with all malice. Now, the first five words are words I think we all use in our vocabulary. We use words like bitterness and anger and specifically in the church, to talk about God's wrath sometimes, you know, shouting, even slander. But the word malice is not a word we use very often. And, and the word malice is actually a pretty broad word in its meaning. The word malice means general ill will towards another person. So if there's somebody that you're not a fan of, that you wouldn't be disappointed if something bad happened to them, if you have some ill will towards them, that's Malice. And what James, sorry, what Paul says in Ephesians 4 is that malice and bitterness and anger and wrath and shouting and slander, the whole list, he says, let it be removed from you. Now that may seem like kind of a, kind of a passive way to describe it. Let it be removed from you. But in Greek, the language that Paul was writing in in Ephesians, he was describing a word picture. And, And the word picture was get it off of you as fast as you can. And the image that I want you to have in your mind is this. Have you ever walked into a spider web before? You know, you, you just, you, you, you're going into somewhere in your house or in a space that you haven't been before. Maybe, maybe you've been on vacation and, and you walk through the front door and, and there were those invisible spider webs you couldn't see. And, and, and if you're anything like me, in that moment when you walk into the spider web, you start doing this dance and you're just like, ah, get it off of me as fast as I can. I mean, just get it off. Maybe that's just me, because I'm not a fan of spiders. But that is what Paul is saying about all of these words. When it comes to bitterness and anger and wrath and shouting and slander and all malice, get that off of you as fast as you can. You go, Scott, that's a little bit extreme. The reason why you get bitterness and anger and wrath and shouting and slander and malice off of you as fast as you can is because it will destroy you and it will destroy everybody around you. I mean, haven't you seen someone become so bitter that they were toxic to everybody around them? 
Haven't you seen the impact that somebody had because of their unrestrained anger and shouting and wrath that led them to abuse members of their family? Haven't you seen the impact? Haven't we seen the impact that words of slander can have on somebody's character and what those words of slander can motivate other people to do? And that's why Paul says, get that off of you as fast as you can. Like walking through a spider web, get it off, get it away. But he's not done. He talks about what you replace those things with in your heart. He says this, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. So so when it comes to the people that we feel bitterness, anger, wrath, shouting, slander, and malice towards, we're told to get that off of us and to remove it as fast as we can and in its place, replace it with kindness, compassion, and that big F word, forgiveness. And Paul is really clear here. He says, forgiving one another just as God also forgave you. Paul is looking at the relational hurt and the heart anger that we feel in light of the cross. And he's saying, if you are a follower of Jesus, and he's writing this letter to followers of Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have experienced the forgiveness of Jesus, who forgave in you the worst in your past. And just as Christ forgave you, he calls you to forgive others. Some of you are like, Scott, I see where you're going with this. (laughs) No, not doing it. I am not doing it. I am not letting go of what happened. I am not giving up my anger over what happened. Not doing it. Well, here's the thing. I don't think life is as simple as two options in every area. Certain things are more complex and nuanced. But here... I think you only have two options. There's only two roads you can walk. You can live in the shadow of your wound or you can live in the shadow of Jesus' wounds. You can live the rest of your life overshadowed by that thing that happened that you feel angry about, bitter about, wrath about, and malice about. And you can let that event define the rest of your life and live in the shadow of it for decades to come. Or you can live in the shadow of the cross, the shadow of the wounds of Jesus, who died to forgive the worst in you. And which road you walk down and which path you choose and which option you take will define your future and the future of every person you come into contact with. You can live in the shadow of your wound or you can live in the shadow of his. Right now, it's your choice. According to Jesus... Forgiven people can forgive. And that's the reason why 
Paul says, just as Christ forgave you, you forgive them. And one of Jesus' most powerful parables he tells, one of the most powerful stories he tells, is in the book of Matthew chapter 18. Here's what happens in a conversation that Jesus has with one of his closest friends, a man named Peter. It says, Then Peter approached Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times must I forgive my brother or my sister who sins against me? As many as seven times? He's thinking like seven's a lot. Like seven times, like that would be a lot. I tell you, not as many as seven, replied Jesus, but 70 times seven. Way, 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 way more than that. Jesus continues, For this reason, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle accounts, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought before him. 10,000 talents in modern day English dollars is in the millions. Some people think it's in the tens of millions. It's, it's more than this man could make in thousands of lifetimes. Since the man who owed the money didn't have the money to pay it back, his master commanded that he, his wife, his children, and everything he had to be sold to pay the debt. That that's the best he could do. That's what the king is going to do. But at this time, the servant fell face down before him and said, Be patient with me, and I will pay you everything. Then the master of that servant had compassion. Remember? Be kind and compassionate, forgiving one another. He had compassion, and he released him, and he forgave the loan. He let go of the fact that he had lost that much money, and he was never going to get it back. It's a powerful moment. I mean, if you're in debt today, can you imagine being millions and millions and millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars in debt, and somebody canceling that debt? Do you know how overwhelmed you would feel, how free you would feel? But the story isn't done. That servant, the one who was forgiven, went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Now, a denarii was a day's wages. So again, in, in modern day dollars, we're talking maybe about thirty or $40,000. A, a large amount, but an amount that can be paid back. And he grabbed him and started choking him and said, pay what you owe. It's a stark turn. At this time, his fellow servant fell down and began begging him. Listen to these words. Be patient with me and I will pay you back. The exact same words that have been spoken in the presence of the king. But he wasn't willing. Instead, he went and threw him into prison until he could pay what was owed. Other people were watching though. When other servants saw what had taken place, they were deeply distressed. That's an understatement. And they went and reported to their master, the king, everything that had happened. Hey, king. Just to look. No. Remember that guy who was in here earlier? You wouldn't believe what happened when he left. Then after he summoned him, the master said to him, You wicked servant! I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Shouldn't you have also had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And because he was angry, 
His master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay everything that was owed. So also my heavenly father will do to you unless every one of you forgives his brother or sister from your heart. Man, that's a strong ending. And and what hit me this week as I was preparing this message is that Peter is the one who asked the question. And if you know the story of Peter, just a few chapters later in Matthew chapter 26, Peter is going to be in need of forgiveness himself. Because late one night, before the rooster crowed, I picked a crow here because that was the sound. Before the rooster crowed to signal daybreak, Peter denied three times in the presence of Jesus that he ever knew him. And I wonder if Peter in that moment thought back to that conversation he had had with Jesus. The one about the servant. And I wonder if Peter said, man, I think I missed it when it came to forgiveness. I think I was the guy who didn't want to give forgiveness not realizing that I was the one who had been given forgiveness. Here's the bottom line when it comes to forgiveness. If we wait to be paid back before we offer somebody kindness and compassion and forgiveness, we will end up paying the greatest price. The person who pays when anger, bitterness, and unforgiveness are held on to is the person holding on to unforgiveness, anger, and bitterness. It destroys us, not the people who've taken something from us. And in wanting to be paid back and holding on to that toxic emotion, what we do is we ensure that we pay that price. But if we choose to say, you know what, you don't owe me anymore, we get set free. No, we we, we don't always get back what we lost. We don't always get what we want. We certainly don't get what we deserve. But what we do get is freedom. And you cannot put a price on your soul being free. And you cannot imagine the price of your soul staying in bondage to unforgiveness. Friends, anger is a fire. I don't want you to get burned. So today, I have two next steps that I want to challenge you to take. The first one is I want to invite you to practice the discipline of lament. All throughout the scriptures, especially in the Psalms, the people of God, when they didn't get what they wanted and when they didn't get what they deserved and when something was taken from them that they thought was unjust, they would turn to God in lament. And here's how you lament. First and foremost, you address God and you acknowledge what happened. You turn to God and you have an honest conversation with him and say, hey, this is what happened. And then you introduce your lament. You you pour out your heart and your emotions, what you feel about what happened, what's going on in you because you didn't get what you want or deserved, what's happened in the aftermath of, of that act of injustice, and you lament that before God. You grieve it. Pour your heart out over it. 
then, then you confess your trust in Jesus. Maybe it takes looking back in the past, in those moments when, when Christ walked with you or delivered you or showed his power in your life. You confess that you do trust him, that he's big enough, that he's in charge, that he can be involved in a moment like this. And then you pray for his intervention. You ask him to get involved in the situation. You seek and beseech him to bring his justice and bring his power and make things right. And then all laments end with praise and thanksgiving. Because we're praising God, not that he's always going to do what we want him to do, but that he is the God who knows best, that he has our best interest at heart, and we give thanks for all of the ways and the places we've seen that. All throughout the Psalms, the people of God, when they were the victims of injustice, they would lament before God as a process of healing those toxic emotions and as strengthening their relationship with God. And there's some of you that today you need to write a lament. You you need to create your own psalm of lament to pour out your heart to God before you give voice and spew those toxic emotions on anybody else. So the first thing I want to invite you to do is to practice the discipline of lament. The second thing I want to invite you to do is to practice the discipline of forgiveness. And I want to walk you through what what forgiveness looks like and what it truly involves. And I want to tell you that, that I've done enough writing and speaking and teaching and talking about forgiveness, that this is one of the most difficult topics in all of life. Whenever forgiveness comes up in my experience, it's like a bomb goes off in the room. People have pain and people have resistance to forgiveness. But I want to walk you through how you can forgive using a process that I've used to forgive. First and foremost, I want you to begin by reflecting on how Christ forgave you. You don't start in your own power and strength to forgive. You start with the forgiveness you've already received. And the reason that forgiven people can forgive, it's because they've experienced and received God's forgiveness and they forgive out of that. If you're not a follower of Jesus yet, I want you to reflect on a person who forgave you. A person who gave you the forgiveness that you didn't deserve and the power that had in your life. Next, I want you to identify somebody that you're angry with or struggling to forgive. This is the easiest step. You already know this, but I just want you to identify this is the person I need to work on forgiving. Then I want you to determine what they owe you specifically. Specifically naming what they owe you is the only way to experience real forgiveness. Because a general forgiveness won't work when the anger and the bitterness and the wrath and the slander and the shouting and the malice go that deep. You have to determine what they owe you, specifically. Next, you make the decision to cancel the debt. See, when that king forgave the servant, he decided that he was going to pay the price for the debt, not the servant. And when you forgive that person, you're choosing that you're not going to keep trying to get them to pay you back, that you're 
going to pay the price instead. Not because it's the cheapest route, but because it's the path to freedom. For some people, they find it helpful to set a chair in front of them and to speak aloud all of the things the person did that were wrong and unjust. All the things they did that weren't deserved. All the things they did that weren't wanted. All the things they took away. They speak all of those to an empty chair as if they're telling the person. Other people find it helpful to write a letter and to write it all out. This is what you owe me. This is what you did. And then to make the decision to cancel the debt. To make the decision to get up from that chair and walk away and leave the debt there. After you've canceled the debt, you've got to make the decision to dismiss the case. To not keep coming back to it and rehearsing it again and again and again. And this is why forgiveness is a decision and a process. Canceling a debt is a decision. Leaving a case dismissed and not reopening it is a process. It is continually coming back to it and saying, I decided to do that. I'm going to walk in that decision. I want to be free from that. I want to walk in freedom. And we've provided a number of resources to help you follow these two disciplines. The discipline of lament and the discipline of forgiveness on our website. You can download a guide to lament and a guide to forgiveness at prescottcornerstone.com slash heart. When this service is over, I'm going to be over on YouTube taking some questions. And so if you have questions on forgiveness, you can put those in the chat. Or at the end of this video, you'll see a number that you can text. I want to remind you this. Anger says you owe me. And for so many of us, those three words have been dominating our lives and hearts. Maybe for the last year, maybe going back farther. Forgiveness says you don't owe me any more. And you say these words not because you're strong or better than anybody else. You say these words because you want to be free. Friend, I want to leave you with a question I asked in the middle of this message. Will you live in the shadow of your wound? Or will you live in the shadow of Jesus' wounds? When you live in the shadow of your wounds, you stay attached and you stay bound up to anger and bitterness. But when you live in the shadow of his wounds, you gain the power to forgive. And forgiveness is the path to the freedom that your heart was created.